So if I um, was listening to him correctly, is this week number three? Four? And we're still on Acts 1 1. <laughs> we're going to be in Acts for a while, it looks like. <laughs> You know what though? We're, we're doing different, different, there's a lot of words to find in any text of scripture, but we are in Acts chapter one, one through eight again today. Um, and I promised a group of breakfast people this morning that we'd get out for, I know there's some event going on this afternoon. I know some couple teams playing something I don't know how many 49ers in here Chiefs representation Chiefs it's going to be a good game the only the only NFL game I've ever been at in my life other than TV was at the Chiefs stadium when we were going to seminary Um, Chiefs were in town and we had a friend who had a friend who had a friend who had like like what box seats or something that is super Super good, um, and it was crazy fun. I don't even remember who won. That was, you know, a few years ago, but um, it was a it was a fun game. So, so uh, before we do football, we're gonna do Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, owls, doves, and a new body. I didn't get that title to Pastor Terry because I was too late. But um, Holy Spirit, owls, doves, and a new body. Uh, I'm going to read, actually, our text. Acts 1, if you want to read with me. Acts 1, 1 through 8. Uh, page 1323 in our Bibles. What's that? Yes, our smartphones. I don't know what page on your smartphone. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning. This is Luke talking. Right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God, by the people of God. So, as I was reading through this text this week, I just kind of got snagged on a couple of the phrases, thinking how long it's been since 
the original hearers of these words, this dialogue with Jesus, actually heard these words. It's been 2,000 some years, right? So we have 2,000 years of interpretation, 2,000 years of sermons and books, 2,000 years, you know, and, and, and our own lives. These words that we've heard so many times kind of hitting life's grid and be, and running through the, 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 the screen of, of all of our own lives and living. Uh, bouncing around, being interpreted, and and maybe just kind of in and out of our minds, kind of skimming the surface sometimes. But if we stop for a minute and hover over some of these words, it's pretty awesome to consider what might have been going through their minds, to think about their context. What would they have heard when they first heard Jesus say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yikes. Is that painful? Is it messy? Is there a physical component? What does that mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? And then later, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power? That had to have sounded just over-the-top, revolutionary-like awesome to these people who were deeply immersed in a sense of powerlessness. Everything from being culturally displaced with the Roman Empire all around them to all of the recent events with Jesus, their absolute master dying and then raising again, and all the confusion about their place in that, and and some of the very um, unusual words and instructions that Jesus is giving them. Does this mean now that we'll have the ability to steer some of this craziness that's happening all around us. And so when Jesus promises them power, their, their reaction, at least internally, had to have been, yes, please, power. Some years ago, I worked with the um, United States Forest Service, and I was working in wildlife bio- the wildlife biology department. And uh, one summer, my assignment was to work with a team of people in um, helping with the spotted owl project. Anybody, anyone remember that? This was like a couple couple decades ago. Um, The spotted owl project. And so um, spotted owl is this bird, this very majestic, large bird that lives uh, primarily in old growth habitat, which means he likes to hang out where the trees are really old, not just because he likes old trees, but because um, the old growth forest creates a particular ecosystem that he that the owl needs for survival, so um, we would find the owl's nest tree, which was an adventure all its own, and then we would uh, find the coordinates of that nest tree, map it, and then after some more decisions were made in some offices much more important than my office, uh, there was a 3.6 mile radius protected from timber harvesting around that nesting tree. So you can imagine the heated political discussions that happened around that. Interestingly enough, my husband at the time was logging. He was working in the timber industry, and uh, and I was protecting the spotted owls. So we had some <laughs> we had some fun debates. It's kind of fun. It was kind of fun for us, but I had some uh, friends in that community. 
that uh, it wasn't such a fun topic. Um, one thing, so it was a lot of that, though, has kind of faded for me, the, the, the political unrest and, and the lively discussions that surrounded that. But one thing that has stayed vivid in my mind is the, uh, the image of this bird uh, being out in the field and actually hanging out with the owls, finding them, watching them, uh, and this, this quiet, oh-so-fluffy, and cute-looking bird as he appeared on the postcards and on the posters uh, was not so cute and fluffy when he was on a mission, like diving to hunt for a mouse. This bird would send chills up my spine, talons out, laser eyes focused on the mission, not so soft, not so safe. I got those same kind of goosebumps this week, reading the text and studying and thinking about the Holy Spirit, having a hard time connecting with the hallmark-like depiction that we have usually of the gentle dove descending on Jesus in Luke 3, uh, where he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Maybe the quiet, gentle dove is what the disciples thought of when Jesus said to them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Maybe they thought, I'll wait. Comfort and peace at last. I'll wait. Well, Pentecost happens, as you know, in the next chapter. We'll probably get to it in six more months. But we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be in chapter two. <laughs> uh, Chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes, and we often call it the birth of the church. But what a weird, weird, unsettling birthday party this was. We usually read about the fire and the wind and this really large multicultural event with people coming from all over everywhere and feasting and um, people blended together. But the reality of it all for this band of Jesus followers was that their whole world was being turned inside out, shifted in ways that they could not understand. Unsettling, to say the least. Scary. They already were the diaspora. Under Roman Empire rule, they lived a reality of displacement, of watching their own culture fade, their ethnic traditions lose vitality. The whole purpose of the Roman Empire was to create societies in their own image. And this is the setting for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. This is the setting for the book of Acts. And now, with the Pentecost event, the doors of following Jesus were to be flung open wide to invite the Gentiles and people from all cultures and ethnicities It was a new chapter to an already unpredictable sweeping drama. Life is being redefined. And to add to this strange birthday party, they are to be the storytellers of something they did not fully understand. A past reality of a crucified and risen Jesus that now ties to the now reality of God's ongoing presence. 
the Holy Spirit, who Jesus told them to wait for, would be their comforter. But the comfort she brings is not an invitation to cozy up by the fireplace with a mug of hot chocolate and just keep on with life as usual. Holy Spirit, more like an owl on a mission sometimes than a gentle dove. Holy Spirit brings the comfort of truth. The truth about ourselves, the truth about God and his kingdom, the truth about what is needed to live and love the world-changing Jesus way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads me to truths about myself that make me cringe. Like this last week when there's some things going on at work and I find, again, when I look in the mirror, how easy it is for me to just throw up walls. When there's differences politically, differences about parenting style, teaching style, a a post on Facebook, something that hurts me or irritates me, even with a smile on my face, how easy it is for me just to throw up a wall. And how difficult, how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to build a bridge. I read one church leader this week that said, it's hard to be a pastor when you're not a very good Christian. So his followers asked Jesus the nationalist question, which has been with them for a long time, right? Can we be in charge of our own fate now? Is this the time? Do we get to do it now? If we need to impose our will on others, all for the good of the world, of course, is now the time, Jesus, now that you've, you've died and risen, we've proven ourselves, we've won, you've proven, proven yourself, now do we get to kick Roman butt and really bring your kingdom And Jesus' response is extremely compassionate in the face of all this. He kind of responds like the most frustrating of all parental responses. You know, when your parents said, we'll see, we'll see. Actually, what he said was, it's not for you to know. It could be taken as a maybe. He didn't discount their needs or desires or their understanding. He said, it's not for you to know. The really, really good news for people like me with wall building and these guys with control seeking is that the Holy Spirit's hard truth comes with the power to surrender to that truth and be filled with love. Love, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Power for what? For surrendering? Power for becoming, for doing, loving, and living in someone and something eternal, eternally bigger than our own selves. That's why they had to wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus said. You really have no power when you're waiting. Waiting requires trust in the person you're waiting for. Waiting demands surrender. 
you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You know, they could have headed out into the streets early and of their own strength and understanding, knocked on a few Jerusalem doors, left a few flyers, inviting the city to their next church event just to carry out the external steps of the task would have been a nice religious thing to do. Religion is what people do. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit are what God does. To be filled from within, empowered not to just do a task, not to just do witnessing, But Jesus was offering them to wait and be filled with power to be witnesses. And while both have merit, can see Jesus' emphasis on the difference. Don't just go out and do stuff. Wait for me. I will fill you. Be my witnesses. That is the book of Acts. About 10 years ago, uh, the kids and I were driving north on I-5, just north of Vancouver. Have you ever had one of those times logged in your memory where either a song came on a radio or somebody said something or somebody's on the phone and you still, 10 years later, can remember the spot in the road where it, where it happened? This is one of those. 10 years ago, I, I can see it in my mind, the bend and the river. I still never know what that river is. That's right there on I-5, kind of just south of Kalama. I don't know what that is, but right there. Huh? Is it the Cowlitz right there? Okay. Anyway, um, and out of the back seat, five-year-old Jaden said in a very soft voice, and I asked him permission to share this, <laughs> Mommy, I know my God daddy loves me, but I want a daddy to go fishing with me. He wanted someone to touch, a lap to sit on, a hand to hold. And I don't tell you that story to be sentimental, but to tell you I was reminded this week of how physical God's plan was for the birth of the church and for our present church. How, how Luke is so clear that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't a period. It was simply a comma. As we carry on the living presence of Jesus in our lives by being present for each other. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus came to them, talked with them, ate with them, It was paramount to him that they understood that this faith he was creating in them was not a fantasy. All senses present. And can you just imagine the ones who were deep in agony at the time of his death now getting to touch his hand, hug him, fist bump. And most importantly is that his physical presence was not primarily so that we could write books on the proof of the resurrection. His physical presence was maybe so the one who wished for just one more time to see him could. And one who betrayed him could say, 
I'm sorry. One who just wanted to hear his voice again, eat a meal with him, tell a story, go fishing. The moment of connecting with Jesus in those 40 days of touching his hand was so much more than proof of his aliveness. It was forgiveness. It was joy. It was coming together of the brokenness. Like he was showing them that eternal love indwelling a body can continue through death. Through death, the touch can be forever. This incarnation of love would be the new way for the disciples, for the church, for us. It's our way. The incarnation of the love he gave us, it's our way. And it's the way for 15-year-old Jay who knows the presence of Jesus through so many basketball games and fifth bumps and pizza dinners, walking dead, binge-watching sessions and trips all around West Seattle with his dads and brothers and uncles right here in the body, the living body of Jesus Christ. I was up at three in the morning wondering how in the world to end this sermon and had no clue. Woke up concerned about it this morning and then looked at the agenda and realized that the Holy Spirit already had the perfect conclusion. We're going to share in the meal together. We are going to share partaking taking him into our own selves, confessing, sharing, surrendering our need for control, surrendering our propensity to build walls, and by taking him in, trusting him to make us one. For it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and breaking it said, this is my body, which is for you. Take this and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and holding it up said, this is my cup, my blood of the new covenant pouring out for the, forgive, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And when you do, remember me. Family of God, you are invited to this table. You are invited by Jesus to come and partake and share in this. Father, these elements have been consecrated to you already. We now consecrate ourselves to you and ask, come, fill us, empower us to surrender, empower us to be your body. Amen.